The Water Values Podcast, Session 94. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resource, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGinnis. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, I'm Dave McGimsey and thanks so much for joining me. We have a great show for you today. Before we get to that, I just want to say thank you to all you listeners for uh, just what has been a, a tremendous beginning to 2017 in terms of downloads. You guys are, uh, I just can't say enough. It's amazing uh, how much this podcast has grown in the last three years. So thank you so much. And uh, we also, uh, if you haven't rated or reviewed the podcast, please do that. Uh, it really helps people find the podcast. As we just had our very first rating and review on Stitcher. Um, so we've got 41 ratings and reviews, or 41 ratings on iTunes. And a, a bunch of those ratings have come with reviews, which by and large have been pretty good. So thank you so much for that. But Emily H. left our first rating and review on Stitcher. And uh, she... I just want to say thanks so much, Emily. Uh, here's what she said. She said, I anxiously await every new episode of this podcast to drop. I think it's so important and so fascinating. Probably my favorite thing is that it manages to be interesting to those with existing water knowledge, yet digestible to someone with none. Can't say enough about it. So, Emily, thanks so much for uh, that terrific uh, review you left on Stitcher. Uh, and, again, if you haven't ready to review the podcast, please consider doing so uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever uh, you know, podcast directory you're listening on. Uh, again, thanks so much. Um, on to today's show. So we've got John Williams, the chairman and CEO of Impact Infrastructure, and he is going to talk a lot about uh, choosing the, the best possible infrastructure project, you know, using um, the, you know, an, a framework that looks at the triple bottom line, kind of a sustainable return on investment uh, so the triple bottom line, of course, is uh, from a financial, social, and environmental perspective. So making sure you're getting the right infrastructure project to meet not just your financial goals, but also the social and environmental goals you're try- trying to achieve. And it, he's a, it's a fantastic uh, interview. He's very knowledgeable, and I think you will be very pleased uh, with what he has to say. So uh, with that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, John, thanks so much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate your time today. Uh, for starters, John, can you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Sure, Dave. And, and first of all, thanks for including me on the podcast today. I'm really excited about it. Uh, in terms of my background, I actually I spent 37 years in the infrastructure and building delivery industry, starting out as a community liaison or community outreach person for very large transportation projects in and around New York City. Um, Eventually, over the years, I took on more of a business leadership role in the firms that I was part of, uh, including in uh, consulting engineering practices that involve water and waste programs, uh, and specifically P3 development uh, as a program manager for uh, owners who wish to use P3s to uh, create new infrastructure projects. Uh, in terms of water specifically, I was asked to guide a series of public utilities through exercises aimed at doing more with less. This was back in the mid-90s. 
when there was a lot of pushback, especially toward uh, publicly owned and operated water and wastewater systems. And they had significant incentives to find a way to stretch ratepayer dollars further. So I ran a uh, specialty consulting practice while I was at HDR aimed at helping public agencies perform at a higher level. And it was a very successful practice uh, that included work for MWRA, CMUD, New Orleans Water and Sewer, Miami-Dade Water and Sewer, San Diego Water and Sewer, Kansas City, uh, Phoenix, and King County. And having been exposed to all those water folks, I learned to have even a higher appreciation for the kind of work that they do in order to deliver clean, safe, reliable drinking water on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, and so you mentioned the green infrastructure component. Um, uh, can you kind of give us, you know, what do you see as being the drivers out there that are, are pushing utilities to consider green infrastructure? Well, I'm, I'm going to take you back to uh, the mid-2000s, uh, mid like around 2005, 2006, and 2007. I was uh, Senior Vice President and National Director of Sustainable Development for HDR. And I worked with a lot of utilities who are starting to explore uh, gray infrastructure as compared to green infrastructure. And it occurred to me that at some point, investments in things that we call green infrastructure were, were going to require some explaining. And, and a lot of these communities I work with were making claims that they would be the greenest in the nation. And I thought, well, that makes sense. That sounds good to me, but how do you know that green is best for your community, especially when you're spending taxpayer or ratepayer dollars? And um, so I, I set out to find a way to actually measure green in dollars and cents when it comes to infrastructure and building projects, particularly water projects. And I work with a large team of economists as well as several groups of researchers. I've been on faculty at Columbia University for a long time. And we actually created a means of actually measuring green in infrastructure projects that we called SROI, or Sustainable Return on Investment Framework. And elements now since 2007 have been applied to evaluate about $50 billion, $50 billion in real life projects. And, and those spec capacity to run objective, credible, transparent economic analysis comparing pipes and tunnels and tanks and treatment facilities with rain gardens and swells and cisterns and um, impervious pavement, it, 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 it really made a huge difference for me in my career. And I think it made a big difference for the clients that I was serving because they wanted to do the right project for the right reasons at the right time, but sometimes it was difficult to figure out what was right without objective reasoning. And by bringing uh, hard, very serious economic assessment tools to their aid, they were able to, to say objectively that this project is actually superior to that project because it will deliver greater financial returns on investment greater social returns on investment, greater environmental returns on investment in exchange for the capital that was being invested in them. Uh, 
At the same time, this is a little bit of a uh, squirrely story, but I think you'll see why it's important. We, we were having great success with this SROI process, but there was a problem with it, and that was it was very expensive and time-consuming because it, it required a lot of research and analysis. And um, uh, it was okay for us because we were being paid $50,000 to $250,000 per run to assess a project, but that meant that only the largest projects could be subjected to careful economic analysis. And that started to bother me a bit because I felt, why should only billion-dollar projects be looked at closely from an economic point of view? And then here comes February of 2010. I was, um, I was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer. And um, fortunately, with surgery and chemotherapy and radiation therapy, we I'm cured. That was six years ago. My doctors all tell me that I'm cured. We caught it early. That made the difference. But having gone through an experience like that, it changed, changes the way you think, Dave. And in my case, I felt like I had a second chance to live. And my personal beliefs, which I'm not trying to push on you or anyone listening to this podcast are that I was saved from an early death because I have a destiny to fulfill. And that destiny has a lot to do with the resources that are available to me. And, and I was very fortunate. I had a wonderful career at HDR. I was the largest shareholder in the company. It was a very successful company. And I, I asked myself the question, why don't you create a company that will find a way to automate economic assessments so that instead of spending $50,000 per run, perhaps you could spend as little as the cost of a steel or a concrete takeoff on a project. And so five years ago, we created Impact Infrastructure, my current company. I was joined by uh, five other economists who all work with me at HDR, and we all share the same goal of automating economic analysis so that we could tell really how green a green project really is. Because they, they may look good. I'm involved with a project right now that, that uh, made significant investments in um, equipment. This is in an airline terminal so that it would be less reliant on anything but renewable energy. And after we did the assessment, one of our discoveries was that the contractor was planning to spend large amounts of money on this equipment when the entire airport gets all of its energy already from renewable sources. So had they done an economic assessment on the terminal before decisions were made, they would have known, spend your money elsewhere, perhaps on, on water systems or on waste management or, or um, air cleaning systems, et cetera, things that would really truly provide added value to the uh, airport that the terminal is located on. So anyway, we we created this company with the goal of automating the system. And what we have done is we, with help from our strategic partners at Autodesk, they actually own a minority stake in our company, we've leveraged cloud-based technology as well as CAD and BIM technology, building information modeling technology, to automate benefit cost or cost-benefit analysis life cycle cost analysis, and sustainable return on investment. And by automating them all together, we're able to automate what we call 
triple bottom line analysis for the means to determine financial, social, and environmental costs and benefits and returns on investment. And so they, you, you ask about the drivers behind green infrastructure, and you know there's the emotional drivers for sure, but there are other drivers like perhaps we should we should start thinking upstream of where we normally would. You know, think about the city of New York gets its drinking water from upstate New York with very minimal treatment. And, and they use green infrastructure. They think about the source of the water, they protect the water at the source, they protect that water as it's being conveyed into the city, and they do all that they can, largely through green measures, to make sure that they don't have to commit to billions of dollars worth of treatment facilities. Sometimes that's a really great idea, other times maybe not. So we, what we wanna do is, is to work with people as they look to objectively consider their options, gray versus green, and then make selections based really on the total value of public benefit that the technology will return to the community. Maybe I should stop there. Yeah, so so you've said a lot there, um, yeah. John, and, and, and first Sorry off... Oh, I, I, no, 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 you know, no need to apologize. You know, um, I always, I always have a soft spot in my heart for, uh, cancer survivors. My wife is a cancer survivor and, and I think, you know, it, it, it gives you, you're right. It gives you a completely new perspective on the time that you have. Um, even though I'm not the one, I'm not the one who was stricken. Uh, my wife was, but it, you know, it changed both of our thinking, uh, in terms for of, sure. yeah. For sure. So, so I'm glad that you're, that you're, you're well and healthy and, uh, that's, that's fantastic. Um, I want to, I want to go down a couple paths here that from what you mentioned, first off, uh, the economic model for the sustainable return on investment. Can you give the listeners kind of an idea? What, what are kind of the inputs you look at when you are trying to figure out, you know, what the, the economics are of a project? And, and I should say that uh, our tool, our automated business case analysis tool is called AutoCase, A-U-T-O-C-A-S-E. You can learn more about it at www.autocase.com. Uh, it takes what we learn doing custom SROI studies and it, uh, it uh advances like five generations from there. Uh, I wish I had a better word from that, but what, uh, what we've done is we've taken uh, not only cost benefit and uh, life cycle cost analysis, analytical processes, and we've expanded them to include a series of state-of-the-art analytics, including Monte Carlo simulation and probabilistic analysis. And we've plumbed all those things into AutoCase, along with input data from sources like the US EPA, the Corps of Engineers, the Department of Defense, Department of Transportation, uh, a large number of high quality peer reviewed studies, as well as high quality meta studies. So that the, the analytics are really based on common practices like cost benefit analysis, which is by the way, the default standard for valuing tangibles and intangibles associated with infrastructure projects. It's being used by dozens of nations around the world 
and actually or originated more than a century ago. Uh, Corps of Engineers makes a lot of use of it, for instance, in federal highways. Uh, so what we've done is we've taken the analytics that everyone uses in custom studies that are sanctioned by the likes of the federal government, and we've automated them. And then we've taken input data from uh, high-quality sources like uh, uh, mandated data from the federal government, and that's what goes into the analytics. Now, the user, say you're an engineer at CMUD in Charlotte and you want to use AutoCase, you sit down and, and we walk you through it like you're going through TurboTax. I think I'm betting many of your listeners use TurboTax now. It basically interviews the user asking questions that are really critical to determining your federal and state income tax returns. In our case, we ask questions that are uh, credit are essential to business case analysis. So the first question is, what's the name of your project? The second question is, where is it located? Because every project is different, and uh, a big chunk of those differences comes down to where is it located? You know, where does it get energy from? Where does it get source water from? Where does, uh, what is labor cost? Uh, what is land cost? There are many different variables that geogra are geographically specific. So by asking you the name of the project and where it is, we trigger a whole series of defaults in the model to make it geographically specific. And then we'll break the project down into different elements of the project. Say this is a stormwater management program. We'll, we'll talk about the area to be addressed. We'll talk about the types of infrastructure that are there already. We'll ask questions about the types of infrastructure you're looking at. For instance, um, how much pervious versus impervious pavement do you have? Uh, how, where you're already, where you already have a collection and um, conveyance network. We'll ask you basic assumptions about what technology you're planning to, to install, whether it be gray or green. And then we have sort of sub-models within the model, for instance, for cisterns, okay, or rain gardens, or tanks, or pipes, et cetera. And we run them all simultaneously so you can actually see outcomes within seconds of pushing the button to run an analysis. You see real-time outputs. And that outputs, those outputs tell you things like um, net present value, again, of financial returns on investment, of, sustain, of uh, social returns on investment and of uh, uh, environmental returns on investment. And then they're subdivided down into, for instance, uh, reduction in urban heat island effect or the recreational value of an acre of wetlands or uh, certainly different carbon-related or emissions-related uh, metrics that we evaluate. We'll, even we even have metrics that take a look at uh, increases in worker productivity and community health. So, with by asking the user certain design-related uh, questions, that, for instance, what is the area of that paved parking lot, we can do the analysis we need to give you the performance metrics at the other end. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. I'm kind of just I'm, I'm I'm wondering, is what you're doing? Um, essentially saying, okay, here, I'm under a consent decree. I need to do project X. I plug in all the 
the gray infrastructure components for project X and it tells me what the economics is. Then if I, I need to go and say, okay, the, the green infrastructure alternative to, to the gray infrastructure is that, and so I run two, two, uh, do I do two runs and compare them apples to apple? I mean, how, what, yeah. You could do a whole series of runs. You, you would do a baseline run, which is what you're assuming the project will be right off the bat. And then you could do an alternative one, alternative two, alternative five, alternative six. You can even break the alternatives down into sub-elements and mix and match. We did this out in California for the city of Los Angeles. They were looking at a uh, groundwater recharge project. And they were actually piloting auto case on a seven and a half acre site. And they were mixing and matching different sets of scenarios so that they could ultimately tune the design to optimal outcomes. Follow me? Yeah, yeah, sure. Now, um, you've, you've mentioned some of the green infrastructure uh, components that you've had, uh, you know, impervious pavement or uh, yeah, impervious pavement and uh, swales, things like that, uh, rain gardens. Uh, I've, I've worked on constructed wetlands before. What are some other examples of green infrastructure that, that you would commonly see? Well, we can see all the elements, for instance, of, of taking a, pot, a park and use design it to, 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 to double as a stormwater storage facility, right? So you'd have lawns, you'd have swells, you'd have cisterns, you might have tanks, uh, you'd have pervious and impervious pavement, you'd have green roofs, for instance, in the park. All those, not just in a park, in, on, a, on a water treatment site, you could even have a green roof. All those types of infrastructure, just about anything you can think of that could be used as a uh, programming element of stormwater management are included in uh, auto case for green infrastructure. Okay. And are are the people that are typically using this are they are they cities are they private entities who who are who's your kind of target target customer? Right now, uh, they're divided into probably three different groups. We have half of the world's top twenty architecture and engineering companies using our product. We have a growing number of cities. For instance, uh, uh, the city of Los Angeles, city of San Francisco, Berkeley, Oakland. Uh, Pittsburgh, St. Paul, Miami Beach. Uh, we are expecting Boston and Atlanta to come on board soon. Uh, we've also worked with the MTA in New York City. Um, and we're doing some work for cities up in Canada. Uh, in addition, we have federal agencies we're working with, for instance, Federal Highway and the Department of Defense and the Department of the Army. Uh, we also have some private entities, for instance, Class 1 railroads that we work with. And uh, we're certainly interested in working with private water companies. Anyone who's, who's in a position to make significant capital investments into green or gray infrastructure is a potential user of our product. Because if they're making those investments, they want to know what they'll get in return. Sure. And let's talk about that return a little more. Um, yeah. uh, you know, you mentioned the triple bottom line earlier, financial, social, environmental, financial. Um, we, you, I, I think most users or most listeners will, will understand the financial components. It costs you X, uh, your cost savings over time is X and you kind of, 
you know, as you, I think you, you mentioned earlier, net present value, all that stuff, and, and you get the financial return. Let's talk a little about the, the social uh, and the environmental, uh, you know, bottom lines. And, and could you talk a little about how you measure those uh, in terms of, of, you know, if the financials are pretty close, you know, what do, do the social and the environmental elements kind of push a, a certain project over the, over the finish line? Um, just yeah, that's, that's a really important question because right now, even public projects tend to be driven by the financial returns on investment. And of course, I want to remind our audience that water and uh, wastewater infrastructure, other types of public infrastructure, could be a highway or a power plant or a, an airport even, they're not typically developed because they're huge money makers. They're developed because there's a, a genuine public need, okay? And when you create a new water system or when, when you're trying to manage stormwater more effectively, you're doing that because there's, there's some public cost to not taking action, and there's a public benefit to taking action. And if, if the project is marginal, say, from a financial return on investment point of view, and you can then go in and measure the social returns and the environmental returns, you're actually, Dave, you're creating a new form of capital or currency, okay? Because prior to measuring and valuing the triple bottom line, when we were only looking at ROI, financial ROI, the, the less tangible or what we call the intangible things were often overlooked or totally discounted because they were hard to measure. And therefore, they didn't, they didn't enter into the equation when you were looking at the financial returns on investment. But now that we can measure social and environmental returns, that valuation matters to a, poli a public policymaker, right? Oh, it really yeah. matters to a mayor to be able to say to local taxpayers or local environmental community, or the neighborhood that's being served by this infrastructure, that by making this investment, we'll not only have this financial return, but we're going to reduce uh, urban heat island effect, and that's gonna save lives, okay? Or we're gonna improve water quality, or we're gonna create recreational value, or we're going to reduce criteria air contaminants, or we're gonna reduce delays from congestion, or uh, we're gonna reduce the, uh, the overall impact to water quality. All these things have values that matter to you, environmental community, or you, local neighborhood, or you, the parents of a child that suffers with asthma, that because of emissions in the air ends up in the emergency room. And by the way, perhaps the city pays the tab for that emergency room visit. So we're able to take all of these costs and benefits and show how they break down by stakeholder group. Sure. So it, you know, from um, a classical economics perspective, you're, what you're really doing is incorporating uh, things that were previously externalities into the financial model. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And there, there are the cash costs and benefits, and then there are the non-cash costs and benefits that accrue to a, a say, a, a water agency, which they're going to care about, but there are also the externalities that accrue to the community. 
or the region or the nation or the planet. And we, using AutoCase, are able to provide objective, credible, comparable, that's really important, Dave, comparable outputs so you could show one project next to the other, next to the other, even if one is in Tucson, another is in Dallas, and another is in St. Paul. Even though they're different locations, because we use a common analytical engine, that is AutoCase, we can make comparisons between those projects. And, and, and that same analytical output can be used in competitive grant programs to compete for merit-based grant funding. So, John, tell me another story. Yeah, Dave, this is, this is a good one because uh, we're familiar with a major northeastern city who's uh, subject to a, a multi-billion dollar consent decree for stormwater management and uh, combined to sewer uh, management. And we've, there's been a debate over the past several years there between the, the entity that's responsible for wastewater and stormwater management, I won't name their names, uh, it's basically the entire sort of county surrounding this city, and then the city itself. And the, the stormwater management entity has done its traditional engineering work, and they're, they're saying, you know what, we're going to solve this problem by relying largely on gray infrastructure, so large pipes, tanks, and tunnels, and treatment. And the mayor of the city that's located in the midst of this region is saying, no, we're going to use green infrastructure. And then there's been a debate back and forth between the, the heads of the, the stormwater management entity and the mayor of the city, green versus gray, green versus gray. And it's been colorful until we came along and we said, well, we don't really know why there needs to be a, a debate here. Let's use objective economic analysis to help us figure out what the best answer is. If green infrastructure for this particular neighborhood is the best solution based on financial, social, and environmental returns on investment, then it's the best solution. It's the best use of the green, the dollars, behind the local taxes and ratepayers. If a tunnel and tanks and treatment delivers the greatest overall financial, social, and environmental returns, then that is the best use of our constituents' tax and ratepayer dollars. So there's no question about that. And so they have gotten together and they've said, we shall use economics to sort through these options and tell us which is best for each particular segment of the community. And you know what? The debate went away. And the mayor can say, of course I'm green, but my first responsibility is to be a good steward of our resources, financial and others. And the head of the utility can say, of course I'm doing my job. Whatever we put in will be technically sound and will provide the greatest service overall. So now we are on the same side of this issue. We're just determined to use economics to help us make the right decision for the right project at the right point in our prioritization. I really like kind of the, the direction you're going here. So um, I, I'd, I'd like to just find out a little more. And <clears throat> I've had the Institute for Sustainable Infrastructure on previously. And, oh, yeah. and, and we talked about their Envision rating system. And, and so can you kind of like compare and contrast uh, the Envision rating system with AutoCase? I can, and I should disclose, I'm on the board uh, for ISI, so I'm, I'm a bit biased. Um, <laughs> but 
getting to a position on a board meant that I took a lot of, a look at a lot of rating systems. In fact, oh, I'd say seven or eight years ago when I first became involved with what is now Envision, uh, there were about 850 sustainability rating systems available around the world, uh, some of them for infrastructure, some for buildings. And the problem right off the bat were there were too many. So which do you use and why should I pay attention to yours versus mine? And many of them are proprietary or black box. And one of the great things about Envision and ISI is it is a combination of rating systems that were being prepared or created by the Harvard Graduate School of Design Zofnis program by ACEC, ASCE, and APWA. And they combine them all together into what is now Envision. And right off the bat, those organizations have 600,000 members that are, for the most part, the people who make decisions in the civil engineering world across North America. And so right off the bat, Envision is designed for those 600,000 users plus many non-engineers. Uh, now, the, the sort of the issue, though, when you, when you have a tool like Envision that is uh, promoted as a triple bottom line assessment tool, it's, in, it's important to assess the entire triple bottom line. So not only the environmental implications and the social implications, but the economic or financial implications. And Envision does not actually address economic or financial implications. However, Impact Infrastructure, working with the ISI Economics Committee, created another tool called uh, BCE, Business Case Evaluators, which are Excel-based tools that run alongside of an Envision rating. So you could, you could run an Envision rating, say, for a new stormwater project outside of Boston, and at the same time, you could run our BCE for stormwater management alongside, and it maps economic outcomes to Envision categories. So you can see if you put a lot of effort, for instance, in one Envision category, you might see that it really didn't move the needle from an economics point of view. However, another category made it had a really big impact. So the, the project planners and designers can go back and forth and, to, and tune their designs, not only for their Envision score, but ultimately the economic outcomes associated with the project. That BCE, by the way, is available in the public domain. Anyone can use it free of charge. And it comes complete with full documentation and a user manual. And I should say AutoCase was built on top of that BCE and basically automated the process on behalf of the user and provides outputs that map to Envision. I should also say Envision is not the only one. In fact, what I should really say is Envision and now LEED both are the only rating systems in their categories in the world that actually make provisions for triple bottom line economic analysis. We are uh, auto case for green infrastructure product is designed for Envision, and our auto case for buildings product is designed to earn you the uh, triple bottom line assessment credit under uh, the pilot credits associated with LEED. Terrific. Well, I'd love to dig into the P3 elements of how, how P3s oh, yeah. play, play into the green infrastructure stuff, but I think we're going to be running out of time shortly. I, 
I, I do want to, to get your take well, on. Can I, say, can oh. I just say one thing about, about oh, yeah. that? I think it will be helpful. Yeah. Um, because we all know we're going to have a new president soon. And uh, one of the things that uh, the Trump administration has written and spoken about is they plan to repatriate uh, millions, uh, billions of dollars back in the United States, and they hope to use revenues from those dollars to seed P3 development. They'll provide initial monies that would help uh, shift some of the risk from public-private partnerships off the private sector's shoulders and then in, onto the public sector's side. And assuming that they are correct, uh, there will be a, a large uptick in the use of P3s across the infrastructure industry. And the way P3 contracts are procured tend to use what we call best value-based procurements. So it's not the lowest cost construction project anymore. It's what's the overall value to be provided by that P3 performance contract. That's what a community buys when they enter into a P3. They don't buy concrete and steel. They buy a performance contract. And so that performance contract is going to lead to certain performance outcomes. And certainly part of the value associated with that procurement should be tell us what the financial, social, and environmental returns will be for your P3 offering. And the procurement team will want to know how do projects compare when it comes to total returns. So auto case will be very helpful to determining those values, whether it's the procurement committee or the uh, design build contractors that are coming on the site. Right. And that, and, and the P3, that is, um, that's not going to be, you know, focused on green infrastructure, right? The P that's going to be the, the entire industry, green, gray, whatever. Um, It'll whatever it takes to solve our infrastructure problems. Right. Right. Uh, and, and kind of the, I, I love that you brought up the uh, president elect and the new administration, because that was really where I was going to go is, is at least a lot of the rhetoric at this juncture is that, you know, it's, it's going to be at best indifferent to, uh, to green infrastructure and sustainability, that type of thing. What, what do you think, or what's your, uh, viewpoint on on how the new administration is going to look at green infrastructure and the sustainability movement. Well, I don't speak for them, but I I suspect if they follow policies that have been supported by uh, the current Congress and Senate, uh, we know already that uh, the current con the Republican side of the House has uh, been less enthusiastic about things green. And I don't want to paint them with a broad brush, but what they've done at a federal level is more and more they're requiring the use of cost-benefit or benefit-cost analysis before allowing federal agencies to design to certain levels of green. For instance, to go from a lead-rated building to lead silver or lead gold in the Department of Defense, you must make an economic case using cost-benefit analysis to justify the, the project. And we also know that there are uh, a growing number of grant programs, whether they're from FEMA or HUD or Federal Highways, that are demanding merit-based applications that are driven by show-me-the-evidence via cost-benefit analysis. So our tools are all designed to respond to 
an increase in demand for objective economic data. And so whether you believe in green or not, or you just believe in show me how you're going to get the greatest value for my money, you're going to need to look closer from an economics point of view. So I, I, I think it's pretty safe bet that um, economic analysis will be front and center. Terrific. Well, John, you've been absolutely fantastic. I, we are we're we're kind of out of time, coming up against the uh, the limit here. Um, so I really appreciate your time, and I'd like to to ask you, you know, for those folks who want to find out more about you and Impact Infrastructure, where can they go to to find that information? Well, that's easy. Uh, first, you can reach me at John Williams at impactinfrastructure.com. You can learn more about our company at www.impactinfrastructure.com. And you can learn more about AutoCase at www.autocase.com. All right. Fantastic. Well, John, thanks again. Uh, really appreciate your time, and uh, I wish you uh, continued good health. So thanks so much. Thank, thank you, Dave, and thanks for everybody for who's listening today. You bet. Okay. We'll talk soon, John. Thanks so much. Well, that was my interview with John Williams, the chairman and CEO of Impact Infrastructure. Great guy, very knowledgeable in the infrastructure space, as I'm sure you can tell from from that extended interview. Uh, he was he was absolutely fantastic, walking us through the triple bottom line and how uh, Auto Case and the Business Case Evaluator and Envision Rating System and all those uh, different ways that you know different methods you can use to evaluate infrastructure projects. How those can uh, work together to to get you the best possible project. Uh, given the length of the interview, however, I'm not going to give you any more takeaways than than what I just mentioned there. You can check the show notes out for this episode at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 94. Uh, please leave a comment there if something interested you. Uh, otherwise, you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. You can tweet at me using my handle, uh, which is at DTM1993. If uh, you don't want to go public with it, you can email me at david at thewatervalues.com. We'd love to hear from you. Love to hear what uh, is interested is interesting to you, the listener. Again, thanks for a fantastic start to 2017. I hope you've had a, as good a start to 2017 as the podcast has and myself has. So uh, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please consider supporting us by hitting the donate button on the website uh, to make a PayPal donation. Uh, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me.
Thank you for tuning in to The Disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. Information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.